Welcome to the Orchard Hill Podcast. We're excited to start a new series this week called Table Talk. We're looking at the table as a site of communion, as a site of community, a site of commission, as really one of the key practices, not only of our church, but of, of the Christian life, that we find everything that we need and everything we are called to be by reflecting on the table. So we're excited to start this series out. We'll be in it for four weeks. If you have any questions about things that are happening at Orchard Hill, go to ohohio.com and you can find anything you'd want to know or just email us. That'd be great. Enjoy. His words of life come to us today from Matthew 14, 19, which says Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. Lord, we welcome you here today to do your will. We, uh, we want more of you, Lord. So please just teach us and grow us and let us leave here ready to sit at tables with people who you call us to love and to uh, teach about you, Lord. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. So before we go any further into the lesson, I'd like to dismiss our fourth and fifth graders. Today is kind of an special day. All of our kids are um, moving up to their new classroom. So some of these young ones here are moving into a new classroom. There may be some nerves happening in our kids today. So if you see them, I hope you'll um, encourage them. You'll ask them about their new spaces and what they like there, you know. Um, I think just like us, our kids can sometimes make things harder than they actually are. So I hope that we can all um, support them in these transitions that are happening today. Over the last few weeks, we have talked about the fact that we can make following Jesus harder than it actually is. And so um, we were sharing with you about our way of life around here. It's a uh, set of five practices that create a simplified way of following Jesus. And so this month, the whole month of June, we are focusing in on just one of those five practices. We're doing this because we believe the impact that this one practice would have in our communities could change everything. People would be saved, relationships reconciled, brokenness redeemed. People would come to know Christ and the love that he has for them, and truth would become known and drowned out all of the lies of this world. So we are focusing on our practice of eating together in this series called Table Talk. Tables are spaces where we can foster deeper communion, meaningful connections, kingdom hospitality, and missional presence. Our tables could be the bridges between someone who could remain a stranger, far from Christ, and those people that could become family, a brother and a sister in Christ. Our tables are a mission tool for bringing that gap together. The table in um, my dining room right now has been a bridge, it's been a place of connection, it has a history of hospitality like many of your tables 
do as well. Um, we moved into our house about five years ago, and my dad gifted us this old dining room table. Um, we didn't need a table at the time, but he was insistent. He talked about it constantly before we moved. He really had a great desire for this table to be in our home. When it arrived, um, we didn't see how special it was at first, but the first time he came over for a meal, he immediately sat down at that table and he started telling us stories about his life and about his life around that table. Recently, my brother Jess was visiting from Arizona for our dad's funeral, and I noticed over the several days that he was there, he had a preference to sit at that table even though the rest of us were sitting on comfy couches. I feel like he had a comfort at being at that table, the, the table from his childhood. And maybe it was a comfort because of who he spent time with at that table. And now I understand how special that table really is. Their family spent time together around that table. They had countless meals together, and they loved people at that table. They deepened relationships while meals were shared, stories were told, prayers were said, and sins confessed. They laughed and cried together at that table, and people came to know and deepen their relationship with Christ at that table. That table is far more special than I had initially realized because of what has, is, and will happen at it. So tables are a place of belonging. If you think about it, when we um, come to a table, we feel included. We feel one of whoever is gathered there. Uh, think about who you're often at your table with. I bet it's um, family or close friends and why you gather there. Sometimes it's a meal or a celebration. I think about um, wedding tables or tables at graduation parties. Coming to those tables is about unity, fellowship, relationship, and connection. But sometimes tables are also a place of disconnection. I recently uh, saw this meme. I'd like you to take a moment to read it. There we go. It's easy to agree with, right? It's like one of those statements that you just want to kind of puff out your chest and be all proud because that's not me, that's everyone else, right? I don't do that, but we all exclude. Every single one of us excludes. And it's, it's easy. Excluding is easy because it means not having to invite people into our lives. We don't have to bring people into an intimate setting with us. We don't have to include them in our vulnerability or into knowing us. It means we don't have to answer tough questions or tell tough stories. Excluding others is sometimes much easier than including them. We've made withholding hospitality a passive-aggressive way to avoid building a bridge instead of creating space for connection. We think we're somehow making it clear that we are followers of Jesus by who we exclude, but instead we look nothing like him. 
Think about the Gospels. Who does Jesus invite to the table? Who does he eat with? Who does he uh, accept invitation from? Now think about who's at your table. Maybe the harder question is who's not at your table. Matthew 11:19 says the son of man came eating and drinking. When the Pharisees made that statement, it wasn't a compliment. It was meant to be hurtful and accusatory because he was always inviting or accepting an invitation to eat and drink and often with people they thought he shouldn't be with. The leaders of the Jews in Jesus' time had separated themselves from others who they thought weren't as perfect as they were or as holy as they were. They made it a point to not ever sit down at the table with the likes of people that Jesus did. And to be honest, I think we look a lot like them. They hated the fact that Jesus sat with tax collectors and prostitutes and the sick and people who had too much and people who had nothing. They condemned him for his hospitality the same hospitality he came to be known for, the same hospitality that we should be known for. In Acts, we read that people gathered daily for meals. Everyone came to the table and shared what they had. In that time and place, there were clear divisions between people groups, and they um, fell in society in these clear divisions, and they did not mix. But the Acts churches combated that. Everyone was welcome at the table. No matter who they were or what they had or what they didn't have, everyone was welcome. And they became the most obvious identification of a Christian by the way they all gathered, generously shared, and spent time together at tables. Today, strangers remain strangers because we can't even think about approaching someone who's different than us. This summer, we want to take the risk of using our tables to bridge strangers and family. What if we were known by our hospitality the way that Jesus was? What if we opened our homes to strangers and met the needs of others? In his book, Surprise the World, Michael Frost says eating together has been a central Christian practice since the beginning of our movement. And not only eating sacramentally as in the Eucharist or communion, but eating missionally as a way to express love for all. Our tables are where we're on mission. It's the place where we create space, where we are welcome where our hospitality includes people, gives them grace, shows them generosity, our abundance is shared, and I think that we could do a lot better there. Tables are one of the easiest, most natural places we can connect with others. We're often more focused on each other when we're sharing a meal together. Therefore, it shouldn't surprise us that Throughout the Bible, Jesus showed up at tables often. In fact, tables are at the center of the lives of God's people throughout the Bible. 
N.T. Wright, who is an incredible scholar of the New Testament, said when Jesus himself wanted to explain to his disciples that his forthcoming death was all about, he didn't give them a theory. He gave them a meal. Jesus spent a lot of time at tables, changing everything people believed about the kingdom of God through his hospitality. There's a pattern that we see in the way that Jesus came to the table throughout the entire New Testament, the pattern of blessing, sharing, and giving. We see it when he fed the thousands in Matthew that I read earlier. It said, Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. We see that same pattern again in the scene in which Jesus was recognized by the disciples he had walked with on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. In Luke 24, 30, it says, as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it, then broke it and gave it to them. In Matthew, in the account of the Last Supper, in verses 26, 26, again, we see that pattern as they were eating Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples. Eugene Peterson noticed this pattern of blessing breaking, or we can better explain that breaking as sharing and giving as being the heart of the Christian story. He says in his book, Christ Plays in 10,000 Places, this is the shape of the Eucharist or communion. This is the shape of the gospel. This is the shape of Christian life. When we bless, share, and give, we create a space that reflects the kingdom of God. Experts suggest that each of us has uh, one or two primary means by which we communicate and receive love. Those same experts don't typically include food on their list of love languages, But I contend that, in fact, food is a love language. I personally love eating. I also love preparing meals, cooking, and baking with my daughter, Jovi. Um, I love watching people enjoy what we make and the fact that they feel loved because of what we prepared for them. So I'm convinced that food is one of God's love languages. It's one of the many ways that he blesses us and how we can bless others as well. There's an ancient uh, prayer of the church. It says, Blessed are you, O Lord God, King of the universe, for you give us food to sustain our lives and make our hearts glad. If you think about it, the average human has about 10,000 taste buds. And the only explanation I can think of as to why that would be is that God loves us and he wants to bless us. He didn't have to make us this way. He didn't have to make us capable of experiencing and enjoying our food. He could have just given us food that was like full of vitamins and nutrients and left it at that. But our 10,000 taste buds are proof of his radical blessing. The blessing through hospitality goes far beyond entertaining, showing off, or impressing people. It's about welcoming others into our homes and our lives, just as God welcomes us into his kingdom. The Greek word for hospitality most used in the New Testament is philozenia, 
which means love of strangers. Now, the meaning of this word has uh, lost its uh, meaning over time and has become to mean uh, simply welcoming strangers into our home, uh, meeting their needs, which often means giving them food or uh, shelter. But in ancient times, it always meant much more than that. It included providing more than just food and shelter. It meant blessing people in a place they wouldn't necessarily feel okay to enter without some kind of invitation. It meant intentionally inviting people into a space where it was assumed they would not be welcome. This goes beyond meeting any kind of basic need of food and shelter. We need to invite people into conversation, into social situations. We need to make them feel valued where they're typically not valued. We are capable of doing this because we are welcomed by God. As we are, our brokenness, our messed up selves are welcomed into his presence and we should welcome others in the same way. He has saved us, is saving us, and will save us completely. And he's doing that for every single person around us as well. Blessing others by welcoming them into our lives as they are reflects the saving grace of God that we receive daily, which they may not even know is available to them. We need to recover the importance of gathering with people around our tables for far more than just the purpose of sharing food. It's an opportunity to bless them through knowing them and allowing them to know us while reflecting a God who loves them and wants a relationship with them. Our tables should be a place of radical blessing, but also a place where we share and give generously. I think one of the crucial ways we become better at sharing is to simply become more attentive to the people who are around us and even prayerfully ask God to bring us people who might benefit from his generosity. The table is a place where we and others come broken and we find healing and where we share what we have freely and generously. One of my uh, favorite meal scenes in all of scripture occurs on the banks of the Sea of Galilee after the resurrection of Jesus. It's found in John 21. Um, in that story, the disciples had been out fishing all night and Jesus appears on the shore and helps them with their catch. And when they get back to shore, they find breakfast cooking over what is described as a charcoal fire. That same description of a charcoal fire is used only one other time in all of scripture, and it's in John 18. It's when Peter joins other people around a charcoal fire after Jesus' arrest. It's the place where he denies Jesus. For Peter, shame had a smell. It was a charcoal fire. But the charcoal fire of John 21 was a place of redemption and reconciliation that started with a simple invitation from Jesus to come sit and have breakfast. Jesus met Peter in his brokenness with an invitation to share a meal. 
and also shared forgiveness, grace, love, and all of that resulted in his full redemption. I remember when I was first coming to know Christ, I had many invitations to tables with people who told me their stories, who answered my questions, who simply sat and listened. Um, They didn't judge me for my past or my stumbling with Christ. Despite our best intentions, we all, like Peter, stumble after Jesus. We desperately need people who will journey with us through our stumbling, and we need to journey with others through their stumbling in the same way. In many ways, in order to do that, in order to join someone in their stumbling, we have to overcome our fear of strangers. We will often make assumptions about other people and avoid them based on where they live, how they dress, what church they go to or don't go to, their past, maybe even their present. There's an anxiety that sets in because we don't know, when we don't know someone, it keeps us from sharing our lives and sharing what we have, even though their needs are clear and we could certainly meet them. This idea of sharing is a reflection of our trust in what God provides. As we join others at the table, Jesus is the host and provider of us all. If we believe he provides everything we need, then we can give everything we have. If he bakes in enough so that it's more than enough, then everything that's mine is yours. And that's what it looks like when we are looking forward to the kingdom of God. Part of what he gives to the world, part of what he gives generously to everyone here is us. We are given We are sent people, and we're sent to the people and places all around us, called to represent him by practicing his ways. God's mission is to reconcile and renew his broken world, and we are called up into that mission alongside of him. He asks us to participate with him by announcing and reflecting the love of Jesus to those around us. So I am convinced that our tables are the most missional places in all of our lives. Before we invite people to Jesus or invite them to church, we need to invite them to dinner. The table at my home, sitting in my dining room right now, should not only be a place where I could invite any of you, but I should also be able to invite the sweet friend of my daughter and his two moms the lonely, quiet woman down the street, the family that believes something different than I do, and the family that doesn't believe anything. By his own admission, Jesus had a reputation among the religious establishment for being a glutton and a drunkard. One of the most distinctive things about him was that he ate and drank with everyone, believers, non-believers, and sinners on purpose. Gordon Smith says in his book, A Holy Meal, that eating was for Jesus a key means by which he proclaimed the coming of God's reign and enacted or enacted its arrival. Inviting people to our tables gives them a glimpse of the coming kingdom of God. It's an opportunity to make known his saving grace 
his unending love, his forgiveness, and his receiving of all. When the Old Testament prophets spoke of the day when God's reign would finally come in its fullness, they described a great feast. Isaiah spoke of it in 25.6. It says, In Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. On that day when all that is wrong is made right and all that is broken is made whole, there's going to be one extravagant feast, and we're all invited. It's important to recover this practice for so many reasons, but number one is that it is a direct reflection of the reality that we're all waiting for, the Lord's kingdom yet to come. Hospitality is one of the most important practices for us to recover in the kind of world that we're living in, in this fast-paced, tech-saturated, attention-deficit-disordered place we're living in, we need to recover the act of slowing down and eating together. In the midst of a world that is increasingly seems to lost its way, we need a recovery of the spiritual significance of what we eat, where we eat, and with whom we eat. We need to be known for this kind of hospitality. Make Jesus known through this kind of hospitality. The world we're in, it's so broken. Divisiveness is more common than unity. People are suffering. They've, they're lost, they're broken, so much so that it seems impossible to overcome. But we all know that Christ overcomes and heals and saves. And for those that don't know him, if they have never experienced him or heard the truth about him, then I don't think we can sit back and build up walls. We have to build a bridge, invite them to our tables, share our stories, let them see him through us. So if you're wondering how to reach someone, whether it be your neighbor, a soccer mom, uh, someone who's hurting, someone who doesn't look, act, or believe like you do. It's simple. Invite them to the table. Your table is the bridge between stranger and family, right there in your own home. Hospitality is contrary to the values of the culture surrounding us, but that only means that our bridges, our hospitality, is needed now more than ever. 1,600 years ago, Christians were navigating life while the Roman Empire fell. All commerce and trade were broken. Roads were no longer maintained. Goods could not reach the people who needed them. Leadership was non-existent. This was a chaotic time with very much brokenness everywhere. Augustine, who is a great Christian thinker of that time, begged people to be meek, sympathize with the suffering, bear the weak, and on this occasion of the concourse of so many strangers and needy and suffering people, let your hospitality and good works abound. He begged people to humble themselves, help those who were suffering. He was asking them to meet people where they were and share all that they had. 
that probably included people who had offended them. We would we should allow these words to challenge us today and invite us to think about how to reprioritize this important practice. What if we were known by our hospitality? What if the way that we bless, share, and give sets us apart from everyone else? You know, hospitality isn't unique to Christians. Everyone does it. But the kind of hospitality we're talking about over the next month changes everything. It builds relationship. It builds trust with people and allows them to see Jesus through us and through the stories that we share with them. To be known by our hospitality, we have to be intentional about being hospitable. Use our tables as a bridge between someone who may be a stranger now but could become family. We're going to enter into a time of prayer uh, followed by communion. And I'd love for you to take a moment to wrestle with those questions. Are you using your table like everyone else? Or are you using your table like Jesus? What if we were known by our hospitality?